Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. All right. This morning we'll be talking about God's human family again. I don't know how long we're going to be in this series. We're just going to go wherever the Lord takes us. But I want to encourage you. You might, you might be thinking, you know, because we're going to talk about marriage, we're going to talk about children, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, all of those things. And, you know, we're not going to do marital counseling and all that from the, uh, well, maybe a little when you understand it that way. But what I want us to realize is that when we are looking at these things, we are looking in the mirror of Scripture, as uh, James says, at the most fundamental parts of human life. And our attitude toward these things and our understanding of these things controls our attitudes. It controls our actions. And in that sense, it very it very definitely has an impact or it is even controlling on our individual destinies. We have seen the way the, uh, the complete degrading of the family in this culture, the impact that it's having on our nation. And it is very deleterious. It is very negative. And so we're going to be going into this and we're using the scripture here. And I want to I want to affirm to you that all of the things we're sharing are classical theology for thousands of years and that we stand on the shoulders of giants. We have perfectly good reasons for believing everything we believe. Psalm 139 verses 14 and 15 David says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven. And he says in the depths of the earth. And he, he identifies where that is. He's, he's talking about how it was so covert, so secret, so hidden. All right. That's what David says. Now, hold that in mind and we'll do a little bit of review of last week. We're not going to go everywhere, but uh, say all the things that we said. But in Genesis chapter one and verse 26, the Lord God said, let us make man in our image and our after our likeness. The us there is not the Trinity. It is the divine council. And they God had just made the entire physical universe. We talked about that. And how the sons of God, the angelic beings, the Elohim, were just absolutely gobsmacked at what he had created. And they sang for joy. We saw that. Uh, you know, to get everything out of what we're going to share today, you need to hear what went before. And we'll just continue to build here. And he says, now, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, let them, and that has nothing to do with appearance. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Now, when you go read Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, when you read through there, Realize that it is not a chronological account. There is a chronology in there, to be certain. But the author, 
whether you want to say it was Moses or whether you want to say it was the Holy Spirit, is moving kind of back and forth as a literary device to elaborate on some of the, 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 the parts that are very, very important. And the, the thing to remember, to, the takeaway was that an entirely, after the creation and as a result of it, an entirely new kind of life had come into existence. Something that had never existed before. Plants, animals, birds, fish. And all of this was in preparation for the real thing that God intended to do. And that was he was bringing forth a new mighty one, a new Elohim who was going to be Junior, in a very real sense, at least for a little while. And we talked about that too. And that sentient being, the creation was made for humanity and humanity for the creation. And he placed Adam in Eden. It was a paradise. It was perfect. Whether you realize it or not, almost all ancient religions still had a remembrance, a, a memory of both Eden and of the flood. All right? And Adam was created out of dirt. I heard a guy one time say that, you know what? This body is made out of dirt, and it'll act like dirt if I let it. Amen. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the first part of it says, Then Yahweh God, Yahweh Elohim, Formed the man of the dust from the ground. The language indicates a, an intricate, complex, beautiful creation. We go back to uh, Psalm 139, 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to think about all the chemical processes that happen. And you know, we've got all of our internal organs. We've got all, of, in fact, we've got just one big external organ. We've got eyes. We've got livers. We've got, we've got pancreas. Pancreai? <laughs> anyway, and we've got kidneys and, and intestines and, 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 the, and of course, something very important, the bladder. And all of these things you know, within us. And the, 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 the metaphor there in verse 15 was one of layers and threads and colors. And even though he refers to depths of the earth, that's, that, that's metaphor for in secret because if you just back up to verse 13, just a few, a couple verses before, he says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. That will become very important later, but we won't look at that today. Adam's body was ready. After God formed him, he, his body was ready to go. It was perfection itself. Everything was just so. The entire DNA, the entire gene pool, all of the races, red and yellow, black and white, you know, were in him. And it... Even though it is incredibly crafted, it's highly organized dirt. That's what it is at this point. Because there was no life. There was no animating principle. And so it says there in verse 7, And he breathed into his nostrils, meaning Adam's nostrils, the breath 
of life. In fact, in Hebrew, it's the plural of majesty. And the man and Adam became a living soul. We talked about how that animals have souls last week. And we brought all that out. And that, you know, Adam was a spirit who also had a soul. Adam, you know, is the regent. In fact, well, let me, let me, we'll, we'll just read that for you. In Genesis 1 and 20, 21 and 24. This is from the English Standard. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. And the words actually souls. Nefesh. Let the birds fly above the earth and the open expanse in the heavens. God created the great sea monsters. And every living creature, literally every living soul... That moves with uh, with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. Literally, let the earth bring forth living souls after their kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. So all the animals had souls. How many of you have ever had a pet and you knew that that pet had a soul? You can tell that, you know, that's where you think, feel, and choose. And you can tell your dog was happy to see you. When you come home, your dog is happy. That's soulish. I heard one comedian one time say the dogs are so happy because, oh, you're, you're, you're still alive. I thought you were dead. Okay, I've got to take a poll. Any cat owners here say that their cats are happy when they come home? Yeah, that's wrong. Anyway. <laughs> Yahweh breathed into him the breath, and he became a living soul. Why? Because he's part of the environment. They have kidneys. We have kidneys. They have, they have livers. We have livers. They have intestines. We have intestines. They have souls. And so do we. Because Adam was a man of the creation for the creation. Amen. Not by it, but of it. All right? And we saw... Genesis 1, you know, in Genesis 1, that humanity was created to worship and obey. Not cultivate and keep the garden. He was put in the garden to worship a relationship and obedience to carry out his ministry. Humanity is or are the representatives, the imagers, the agents of God that he intended to rule this new world through them. And to that end, it's time to set up shop. Amen. You know, he puts him in Edom, and it says in Genesis 2 and 19, now the Lord, uh, now out of the ground, Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. What is he doing? He's installing the new management person, the new manager. Almost said team. That it isn't, they're not, it's not a team yet. All right. And, and so he's naming them rhinoceros. I don't know what he actually called it, but you know, you know, hippopotamus. That's after he finished laughing. Ostrich. Or, you know, and so. Um, you know, it says, the, every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Some people look at that and they go, how long did that take? The Bible doesn't say. And how was Adam intelligent enough to do that? Because Adam was not burdened by the curse the way you and I are. 
I hit upon that when I was in graduate school. I remember when I started graduate school, I suddenly discovered that my undergraduate was rather deficient. And I was expected to know some stuff that I actually didn't know. And so, at least for the first year, I was going to have to do a whole lot more studying than some of my contemporaries. And one of the things that I hit upon was I was saying, God, Adam never forgot anything. He wasn't under the curse. Forgetfulness is part of the curse. How many of you, how many of you know that's right? Especially if you forgot something important. Yeah. And I, I said, and I'm, I'm not under the curse, Lord. So like Adam, I remember everything I need to remember. And it worked. I mean, you know, the Lord helped me there. All right. And so what we see is that, you know, and, and I know, I'll say right now, a little X curses here, evolutionists and paleontologists and all of the, you know, and, you know, look at this as being a fairy tale. And that this is just a way to, uh, you know, create some sky daddy, as they like to call him. And especially, you know, but I assure you, their science about these things is nowhere as settled as they represent it. All right. And this is a very brief here in Genesis account to give us the facts we need. It's not just truth. Now hear this. It's theological messaging. God is sending us theological, in other words, messages about himself and about his design and therefore about us within this. All right. Now, Adam was created a complete human, a complete being. He was incapable, I believe, of being lonely because he didn't know. You know, I've heard people say he kept looking at all the animals and go, well, there's two of them. I don't know there's only one of me. I don't think he did that. I don't think it ever occurred to him because he was a complete human. And, and it says in verse 20, uh, the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now you could read that and say, oh, God forgot something. No, 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 no. Far from it. It's all about timing. Let me ask you this. Was Adam lonely? No. I don't, he was made in God's likeness. He walked with God every day. How are you lonely in a situation like that? He didn't, you know, he didn't have any needs. He was walking with God every day, laboring alongside of him. And God had placed him, had set him, had rested him in his new home. And it was here, all of these administrative uh, tasks of naming the animals. And I'm sure there was a lot more that went on. That God was explaining the way some of this stuff works to Adam. All right. And, you know, and so... The, the question, but I ask you a question. There's, you know, there, there's, uh, there's a great question in theology, and that is, did Adam have a navel? I want you to think about that. That's, you know, like, well, did he, did he have a navel? But let me ask you one that's a little bit more pertinent. Did Adam have boy parts? I think he did. I think he was created complete with boy parts. Some of the animals had boy parts, but not all of them. 
So why did he have boy parts? Because God had a plan. God had, a, God had something he was going to do. And why? Because Eve was not an afterthought. She was in the plan all along, whether or not Adam actually knew it. So why the delay? Why was Eve, the, the, the beasts of the field were created male and female simultaneously. But Eve was not created the same way at the same time as Adam. And here is the theological message is that after Adam's creation, God put him in his, the father put him in his new home. And there they were getting everything prepared for his bride. The Jewish understanding of marriage comes bursting through strong. So what is it he's saying? He's saying, you remember, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. That's all Jewish marriage uh, verbiage. The husband, once he has the betrothed, would return and he and his family would prepare a place for him and his new wife to have a home and set up a family. And that's exactly what's happening here. It's that Jewish marriage symbolism. It's, it's in, it start, we see it in, in Genesis. We'll see it in Revelation as well. All right. And the groom would prepare the place for the bride. And then the shout, the bridegroom cometh. Hallelujah. And then the wedding would take place. And he would bring her into his house. His home that had been prepared. A place prepared. Now, we go back to 1 and 27. How many of you, how many, that, 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 that ministers to you? Okay. And so it says in Genesis 1 and 27. So God created Adam, mankind. In his own image, in the image of God, created he him. Male and female created he them. Again, this is a shorthand statement. It's, it's pricey. It's, it's very condensed. But God had always intended to have complementary genders, not opposite sexes. Are you listening to me? We're not opposites. We're complementary. We're not at war. We are in teams. You know, they talk about the war of the sexes. I remember that was real popular back in the 60s. The war of the sexes and everything, you know. So how did God do this? Well, let's take a look. And it says in Genesis 2, 21, that an anesthesiologist came along. It says, so Yahweh God caused a deep sleep without intubation. Caused a deep sleep, and no propofol, deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, something changed. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh, you know, its place in the flesh. And the, the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made, this is the English standard, the made into a woman. Now, the word translated made here is not the same word translated formed 
in reference to Adam. That was Yatsar. He used the same word for forming Adam as he did for forming the animals. But this word is different, and it's not used anywhere else, of which I'm aware, in Genesis. In fact, there's only one other place it really shows up, and it's the word bana, and it means built. He built the woman. She was built. Wait a minute. Now, instead of thinking of it in those terms, let's think of it. This way, she was crafted. The man was squeezed together, but the woman was artistically, and Adam was made of dirt, but Eve was made out of not just organic material, living material. We know that because Adam says, and this is significant, we're not going to talk about it today, but we will, probably next week. He says, what? When he sees Eve, he goes, wow. I mean, if you've been looking at cows and pigs and chickens and, you know, antelope and, you know, hippopotami. He goes, whoa. And he says, this is bone of my bone. But then he goes on to say flesh of my flesh. Which is indicative of something. And so she was. Now, I want you to think about this. In the animal kingdom. Which gender is the one that's splendid? It's the male. Wanting to attract a female. We have turkeys that live in these woods out here behind the church. You can always tell which one the male is because they're strutting. There's some of that goes on in humanity too, I think. They'll spread those big feathers. You know, the peacock. You know, how many of you know what the, you know, people think of the peacock. that all are, No, there's the peahen. As well. The cock is the male, the hen is the female. Think of the cardinals. You can always tell in my backyard which is the male cardinal and which is the female. I've had lots of fish in, in, in my time. And oftentimes, among the fish, the male is very splendid and very well marked. Think of the baboon. You know, the ones with all the marks. Think of the lion, the one with the big mane. That's the boy. All right? And, but in, whereas in the animal kingdom, the male is the one that's beautiful. In humanity, the female is the one that is beautiful. And all the men said, amen, real fast. <laughs> Think about that. She is the resplendent one. Um, it says over in second or first Corinthians, rather 11 and seven. The man ought not to, he's talking about something else, but he does say something that's, that is pertinent here. He says, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image of the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. God brought Adam his trophy wife. Are you getting anything out of this? All right. We're having fun with this, aren't we? All right. In Genesis 22, or 2 rather, 22, he brings her to Adam. And the rib that Yahweh God had made from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
walked her down the aisle. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. Literally, Isha. Because she was taken out of Ish. She was taken out of man. Therefore, for this reason, to that specific end, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. And the man and his wife. Everybody say wife. wife. This was not a shack up. This wasn't a partnering. This was, I don't know what kind of a ceremony they had, but they were hitched. The man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. All of human, now I want you to think about this. Adam, in Adam, was the entire gene pool, right? Now, the entire gene pool, all the races, are right there between the two of them. And every time they come together, there will be a selection because not all the genes will make the trip. How many of you are aware of that? If you've studied any genetics, you know, in school, you know they've got dominant genes and recessive genes and blue genes and whatever. All right. And brushed denim. <laughs> you know, my mom, my mom, uh, my dad had uh, brown eyes like every one of my children and my wife. And when they found out that they were pregnant with me, uh, everybody kept saying to my mom, because of the blue eyes being recessive and brown eyes being dominant, they, everybody was saying to her, you're going to have a brown eyed baby, you're going to have a brown eyed baby. And there would have been nothing wrong with that, of course. But she kept saying, no, I am not. Because she had blue eyes. And so I was born about halfway between them, you know. And depending on what I wear, they're either green or uh, they're hazel. All right. And so now we have all of the races, black, Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian. All the, How do you know that all dogs, I think I referred to this before, all dogs can be traced back to one pair. You know, and it's amazing to me to think that a Chihuahua and a Sharpay or a Pyrenees, you know, these huge, you know, dogs all have the same relatives, all have the same ancestry. All right. Well, there was a detour in there somewhere. Yep. All right. And Acts chapter 7, we're told this, Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. And I'm going to take the Textus Receptus rather than the critical text for this. So I'm going to use the New King James Version. And he has made from one blood every nation of men. Now remember that in the New Testament, the word nation is the word ethnos. We get our word ethnic directly from it. And so nation there does not mean every kingdom, every political subdivision, every country. It means every tribe, every race. All right. He has made from one blood. We all, you know, we all have the same, you know, it doesn't matter what color we are. We have, we are all humans. We are all have the same blood. Amen. From one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And look at this. Here's something interesting. And this goes back to Genesis 10 and the Tower of Babel. 
and has determined they're pre-appointed. What does pre-appointed mean? You know, if, you, if, if, if somebody says, we will meet at the pre-appointed time, what does that mean? That there was a time determined in the future for us to rendezvous, right? To meet, all right? And so it says, determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now, I want you to begin to think of this in terms of the God who is the God of eternity. And that time and space are a creation they, you know, everybody understand that time is finite. There is a beginning and there is an end of it. You know how all that works? You know, that'll get, you can, this will give you a serious brain cramp thinking about this stuff. But the fact is that all time is before God. He sees it all. Every bit. He sees a million years into the future just as clearly as he sees today. And he sees a million years ago. If there was a million years ago, depending on when, where time, when time was created, uh, he, sees up, he sees the beginning of time, he sees the end of time, and he sees everything in between. And when he created Adam and Eve, he had, what he did was, he had planted the seed. Now, anybody here ever plant a, a tomato? Tomato plant, or a cucumber plant, or whatever. When you put that seed in the ground... That seed had the genetic code that would determine what that, uh, what, what that plant would look like. And how many it would bear. And I realize that there were environmental factors involved with, with a lot of that as well. But the point is that all of that was predetermined. Believe me, Adam and Eve were the seed for the race that would, in his mind was already there. He calls those things that be not as though they were. In fact, back in Psalm 139, we read uh, to start, we read uh, verses 14 and 15. Now we'll go to the next verse, verse 16, where David says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, semicolon, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. In other words, before David was even born, he is acknowledging that God has his life planned and laid out. Yet, when it goes up, that, the days that were formed, it's Yatsar again, when, as yet, there was none of them. Now, let me ask you this. If that's true for David, is it true for you? Absolutely. Is it true for me? Absolutely. Have I stuck to the perfect plan of God for my life? I rather doubt it. And I can tell by looking at you somehow you didn't quite, you know, in every place either. But even in the midst of that, God knew exactly where we were going to get off. He knew exactly where we were going to slow down when we shouldn't. He knew exactly where we were going to charge through when we should have hung back and all that and had all of that planned in advance. He was ready for that and that if we will hang on to him, he will help us to fulfill the destiny to which we're called. Amen. Now, 
It, this becomes important later on when we start talking about some of the things happening in our culture today. All right. But we, we won't do that yet. So just, you know, look at that. You know, we are, you know, we live in this creation called time. And they were beginning, Adam and Eve were the beginning of what in God's mind was a finished work because every unborn human child was still in their loins. And God knew that, and he knew the name and the time of birth of each and every single one of their children that would come, including us. Could he have created a race of billions all at once? Sure, he could have, but he chose not to. He chose to... to Elevate us to a level that even the Elohim did not joy, enjoy, the, 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 the angels in heaven. And that is to allow us to be pro-creators. We, are, we were to procreate. We were to bring the new Elohim. We were to bring the new imagers into the world. He was going, not only was, think about this. No, no, wait. Everybody, am I making any sense to you? Think about the way God does stuff. He starts small and gets big. Go back to Genesis 10 and 11. I made mention of that. When at Babel, the nations rejected God, they rejected his plan, they rejected his guidance, they rejected him. And so he scattered them. We just read about that, you know, pre-appointed times and places and everything. And he he. He scattered them across the, the face of the earth. They said, we don't want to be obedient to you. And God said, okay, I need a nation. There were, depending on your count, either 70 or 72 nations that were scattered. So what did God do? He went and found him a man named Abraham. Actually, named Abram, who had a wife named Sarai. And said, from you. I am going to make a nation. I'm going to build my own nation. I'm going to build my own people. Abraham and Sarah kind of got sideways. Along came this kid named Ishmael. And Sarah said to Abraham, get rid of him. To which Abraham said, he was your idea to begin with. Get rid of him. He's not going to grow up with my, he's not going to be part of this. Like, and God, and Abraham was upset about it. He loved Ishmael. And God said to him, listen to your wife. Yes, that does happen. <laughs> listen to the voice of your wife. She's right. Ah! And so we see how God loves to start with a pair and then Make a nation of it. Well, here is the quintessential. This is the law of first reference. This is, you know, this first time something shows up in the scripture. That means that, that, that from that point forward, there, everything that is revealed after that will be in harmony some way with this. And this is the first place the word wife shows up. The man and his wife. This is where marriage shows up. Early, 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 early on. And it. And if you don't think family is important, I'm here to tell you it's everything in the eyes of God. All right. And he could have created everybody at once. But again, if our musicians would come, the creation 
Adam and Eve were a seed and all of humanity was already planned. Adam's marriage was arranged. There is no record that when God brought Eve to Adam, he said, do I have any other choices? <laughs> to which the answer would have been, not only no, but heaven's no. No, he was happy. He was ecstatic. This is the woman who was going to eat him out of house and home. <laughs> we make light of that, but it was a catastrophe. The fact is, humanity, we see that from this arranged marriage would come the totality of God's human family. Everybody in Africa today. Everybody in Asia today. Everybody in, in uh, Europe today. Everybody in South America today. Everybody in Japan and the islands of the sea. All of those everywhere. We're all cousins. Every last one of us. A, a, a gajillion times removed at this point. But you, you follow what I'm saying. We all came from one blood and the you know we must pay attention to that and Jesus set his stamp of approval on this interpretation when he said in Mark chapter 6 or 10 rather verse beginning with verse 6 from the beginning of creation God made them male and female therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has created in the institution of marriage, let not man destroy or count as unworthy or to despise it. Because in that walk, these things is life. You know, there, that's all there is to it. And if we'll walk in his plan, and we've got it in our head, we're doing what he's shown to us. Somebody says, well, I've had some problems in that area. You know, believe it or not, the blood of Jesus forgives and washes away everything there. Amen. In fact, somebody you know, one time said that, you know, Christianity is a series of fresh starts. And thank God for it. But we will walk according to his design, according to his plan. And when we do that, things work so much better. You know, on your, you know, that most cars, you knew there was going to be a car illustration, right? You knew it had to be. Uh, cars, most cars today have what's known as a rev limiter. You know, that if you get up to the, the red line where they don't want the engine to go any faster than that, spark will usually shut down or fuel one or the other. So not to rev the engine into the red line. Why? Because the engine is not designed to go that fast. And when that when you take it past that, things start breaking. All right. And back when I was a kid, they didn't have rev limiters on cars. You had to pay attention to the tachometer if you were in a street performance acceleration uh, comparison <laughs> or some other such thing okay and when you had to keep an eye on the on that tack you know I knew a guy well I didn't know him personally but a friend of mine did who blew up three engines at the track and could not understand what he was doing wrong 
And finally, on the fourth motor, he was revving it up and everything. And one of his friends who helped him build it say, you know, maybe we ought to check that tack. And well, that ain't a bad idea. And he discovered that instead of running his engine up to 6,000 RPM and shifting, he was actually running it all the way up to 10 because the tack was off. And so the engine's just, parts are just flying everywhere. All right. When you keep everything within design parameters and you do it the way it's designed, everything works so much better. And the human being is no different. We have an owner's manual. We have, if for those of us in aviation, would call a pilot's operating handbook, a POH. And if we'll just keep that, keep to what it says, things will go so, you know, even if you're not a believer, it'll work a lot better. It really will. And if you're a believer, God will help you to keep. Are you with me? Amen. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate everything that God is doing in your life. And we pray for you on a regular basis. But I want to challenge you if this morning, perhaps, or evening or whatever it is, wherever it is you are, or whenever it is you are, that if you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and Savior, I assure you, you must be born again. I say that because that's what Jesus said. You must be born again. There's no shortcut. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Yes, hell is real. But irrespective of that, in the days ahead of us, already the world is spinning out of control. Fires are, grow are growing all around the world. And I mean that metaphorically. And to navigate the days before us, we need the good shepherd leading us. And the only way into his flock is to be born again. And that is you cry out to the Father and say, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is your son. I believe you've raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I repent. Be my Lord and be my Savior. The scripture says that you will be born again to a living hope. And that Jesus will bring you, the Spirit of God will bring you into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And your life, your destiny will change. Your forever will change. Believer, Christian, if you're not really focused on the things of God right now, I want to encourage you to do that because in the days to come, as things spin faster and faster and faster, we've got to hang on to Him. And we do that. He says, you who hear my words and do them, if you abide in my word, then you are disciples of mine. Doers of the word are the ones who are blessed. That's what it says in James. Not just hearers only. And I want to encourage you. Bear down. Get serious. Become intense in your walk with the Lord. Put him at the very center of your universe see what happens. It'll be good. Amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center or at our website, 
iccfamily, all one word, dot o-r-g, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.